Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast Tropics, which makes beer with insanely potent passion fruit and guava notes. I actually brewed with Tropics after we talked about it on episode 188, and the next day the brewery smelled like a guava orchard. Now, Berkeley Yeast just released Thiol Boost, which is a liquid thiol precursor that will take it to another level. Mention this podcast to get 15% off your next order. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. What you're about to hear originally aired in October of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. And I blacked out at that point. Thankfully, um... I woke up in uh, shock trauma. I'm hoping if uh, by December, if I'm walking normally, I'll be I'll be really happy. To my knowledge, we've had three dry hopping geyser or volcano incidents here in Nkasi. I had some micro fractures in uh, orbital bone um, and uh, laceration on my knee and uh, broken wrist. Yeah, we we changed a lot of things after that happened. We need to rethink our systems here. Like, there's no way we can have this dangerous of a system going on on a day-to-day basis um, for our team members. This week on the show, Dry Hop Geyser survivors talk about their experiences and how you can avoid repeating their dangerous mistakes. Hello, my name is Jessica Young, and I'm with Bearded Iris Brewing in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, uh, I'm Daniel Sharp, Director of Brewing Operations at Nkasi Brewing Company in Eugene, Oregon. Hi, my name is Victor Reedy, and I'm with Key Brewing Company out of Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Lee Lonis with uh, Kindred Spirit Brewing here in uh, Goochland, Virginia. My name is George DePiro. I'm the Chief Brewing Officer with Druthers Brewing Company in Albany, Schenectady, and Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, hi, my name is Cody Green. I'm the Environmental Health and Safety Manager for Founders Brewing. Jessica, you're doing a lot of dry hopping during active fermentation down in Nashville. Tell us about your process. 
Sure. Um, so we typically dry hop right during um, the beginning of fermentation. It's usually about day two or three. We go on attenuation percentage, so it's between the range of 55 to 65 percent. So it's still extremely active, um, which can be a little scary. I believe you said you're also adding some fruit at the same time. Is that right? Yes. So we um, make fruited milkshake IPAs, and of course that involves large quantities of fruit. And I like to make sure that the fruit ferments out. So we want to uh, throw it in during fermentation as well. And that would happen at the same time as the dry hop. Got it. And it's usually in pretty large quantities as well. So it can be a little bit messy if that decides to explode. What's uh, Yeah, give us some scope here. What size are your tanks and like what kind of, you know, pounds per barrel or whatever metric you want to use? Um, we usually do, um, we have thirties, sixties and one twenties. We usually try and keep the milkshake IPAs in the 30 barrel tanks. Um, we're adding about a pallet of fruit, which I'm not sure what that equates to barrel wise. Um, but it's, um, I think it's over like 180 gallons in a 30 barrel tank. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty large quantity. And how about hops? Are you just adding pellets or are you doing something different? Um, we usually add pallets um, that can, that range is pretty variable depending on the beer. It can go anywhere from two pounds up to like five pounds per barrel. And I'll ask what may be a stupid question. Uh, can some, what, what, is, what is the difference between, a, what is a milkshake IPA? Is it the same thing as a New England IPA or is that something different? It's pretty similar except in the sense that it is usually has lactose added in the boil. Uh-huh. So it, that's the milk portion, I suppose. Um, and then it would be the fruit portion of it. Got it. You can tell I'm really up on all the current trends. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, uh, okay. Well, let's, uh, oh, and are you, um, are you adding all this on a ladder or how are you doing it? Um, we used to use the ladder on the 30 barrel pretty often. Um, but we, since we got the sixties and the one twenties, we've, um, gotten a lift now and that's aided a lot in the not picking up heavy boxes and taking them up to the top of the tank. So is that like um, a scissor lift or is that something different? Yeah, it's a scissor lift. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you've had a couple of geysers during the last year. Talk about those incidents. Yes, we specifically on our, some of our 30 barrel tanks only have um, one blow off arm that is also the CIP arm. And um, so Unfortunately, there was an instance we were doing one of the milkshake IPAs and they added the hops and then they started to begin to add the fruit. And then they started, they saw that it was going to be um, a little bit vigorous. And so they decided to cap the tank and um, they left the blow off arm open. But unfortunately, the CIP ball got clogged and they didn't realize it during that, the expelling of the CO2 that this um, CIP ball got clogged and then a team member went back up to the top of the tank and took the cap off, which blew off past his face. And then a lot of beer came out of the top of the tank, exploding all over the place. Um, So after that incident specifically with the danger of the cap flying off past someone's face um, made us say, we need to rethink our systems here. Like there's no way we can have this dangerous of a system going on on a day-to-day basis um, for our team members. What's the difference? Why do you think you experience geysers on those two tanks, but not on presumably the many others that you've dry hopped in the past? Well, um, sometimes it's, it's a, with that large of a range, like the 55 to 65, sometimes they 
kind of go a little bit earlier when it's still like pretty vigorous or maybe there's more CO2 in solution at the time or maybe the hot sometimes there can be like little hop islands and so the hops don't actually sink down initially and sometimes they take a few minutes to sink down or maybe they finish by the time it decides to sink down and then nucleate all that CO2. Um, it, I guess it's kind of a variety of factors that kind of depend on like what's going on with the beer but um, sometimes it just it's just different for every tank and usually it's definitely a lot worse the earlier the attenuation is or the lower the attenuation is you mentioned that those tanks don't have a separate blow-off um, that the CIP arm is the blow-off do you have other tanks that have a separate arm and and if so is the problem mitigated by that or not um, yeah, most of our tanks have a separate blow-off arm, and those typically do not get clogged at all. Um, it's, it's usually just those CIP arms that, um, the ball themselves that gets clogged. And it's, it's usually with the fruit material. Some of it is very pulpy, and um, sometimes it can be hot material. And even if you take apart your PRVs later, you can see hot material in those too. Got it. Okay, so you've made some changes to your process in an effort to mitigate risk. Tell us what you're doing differently now. Absolutely. Um, so I think the first thing that is most important is training on just exactly what's going to happen when a hop geyser or volcano is going to happen. Um, and that includes like being able to pick out exactly what things are starting to happen if you're up there. Um, which usually the ver the best indicator I've seen is if you're up on a tank and you're you're seeing a lot of hop dust come out, um, which is there will always be some hop dust coming out because there's always positive pressure in that. But if it's coming out about three or four inches above the um, the hop port, then you're probably getting close to an explosion. Um, the second thing is you should always check the foam and the level in the tank and then note it when it starts to rise up a little bit um, and constantly be watching that after you add each addition of uh, hops. The second thing that's probably the most valuable for like team member confidence and safety is we've um, bought four inch and six inch valves and we add that to the tank right at the beginning of the dry hop. The valves allow them to, even if they can't tell the difference of it starting to get on the verge of having a hot volcano they'll be able to very quickly close it and not have to deal with the scenario of trying to get a cap and a gasket and a tri-clamp on and fighting the pressure and all the scary things that can come with that so the valves are probably the thing that added the most amount of confidence and safety in our team and for me and my team um, we always dry hop with two people there's always someone down at the blow-off arm and Granted, the CO2 is going to want to escape through the largest port, which is the dry hop port. But hopefully if there's someone on the ground also double checking, if they feel a little bit of a pickup, maybe they can tell the person on the lift to go ahead and, you know, close it up. I think that we're getting close to an explosion. Um, and then if we are ever dry hopping the tanks that only have the CIP arm, we make sure that we add three PSI of pressure to um, the tank to make sure that we clear whatever is in could have potentially clogged the CIP ball, and then we allow it to completely relieve back down to zero and make sure it relieves smoothly and nothing has continued to clog the ball. And then that basically ensures that all the pressure's off the tank and they're safe to reopen that valve. 
Lee, I ran into you a few months ago at the Virginia Craft Brewers Guild event and was surprised to see your leg was immobilized with some sort of massive cast and or brace contraption. What happened? Yeah, so that <clears throat> I uh, actually fell off a ladder with the uh, with a geyser that happened. I um, was dry hopping one of our our beers and uh, tried to I felt it coming on and tried to uh, put the cap and gasket and dry clamp on. And, and by the time I was done that, it it blew off and uh, just started soaking me. And as, as I was trying to come down the ladder, I slipped off the ladder and fell, broke my heel bone. Um, uh, luckily, it wasn't real bad. I mean, it was, I didn't have to have surgery. So that was, that was the only saving grace about it. But yeah, we, we changed a lot of things after that happened. Wow. Okay. Well, let's hear about those changes. So we have a, we have a system that I can brew on, uh, and I can fill up one of our big tanks. Um, we usually do, do four brews in a day and we actually dropped off one of the brews to make it less in the tank. We, uh, don't use a ladder anymore. We bought a, um, it's like a cage kind of thing that you can put on the forks and forklift somebody up to that. Um, position so they don't have to have worry about a ladder and also um we we did uh we before we dry hop uh because we do it during fermentation also um we'll put co2 onto the racking arm with it pointing upwards and to and we'll put co2 through the the uh, tank to uh dissipate any co2 bubbles before we dry hop and uh that's pretty much what we've uh done to hopefully mitigate any issues so far so good so far so good yeah i got a dry hop today so cool How, how's your recovery going uh it's 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 better now i'm actually fully walking but i still have a little bit of a limp um i'm hoping if uh, by december if i'm walking normally i'll be i'll be really happy wow well, sorry that happened to you, uh, and wish you a speedy recovery for the rest of that process. Victor, you weren't dry hopping when it happened, but you did experience a bad fall in the brewery seven years ago. Tell us what happened. Uh, it was basically during EIP. Um, we had run our initial caustic cycle, and protocol was pop open the tank, take our flashlight. This is a uh, 50 barrel tanks um, and we would just look in and do a visual inspection, you know, check any of the shadow areas and we saw that the spray ball had uh, been gummed up during the CIP um, so it was grab the ladder and uh, jump up there, pull the spray ball, scrub it off continue on the day uh, so I grabbed the ladder um, I had someone holding the ladder for me uh, as I got up to the top of the tank. Uh, I was not tied off, not anything. I mean, I'm at 15, 20 feet up at this point, and I was banging the spray ball, trying to knock it loose. It, it, it uh, had a pretty good feel at that point. And as I was knocking it and rocking it back and forth, all of a sudden it pulled, and that was enough to cause me to lose my balance. And I blacked out at that point, thankfully. Um, I woke up in uh, shock trauma. 
Wow. Uh, fortunately, fortunately, that was uh, precautionary. I had uh, made an attempt. I have come to learn that I made an attempt to arrest my fall by grabbing the uh, some of the pipe work and glycol uh, lines as I fell off the backside of the tank. Um, and I made it out pretty pretty unscathed in that I had some micro fractures in uh, orbital bone um, and uh, laceration on my knee and a uh, broken wrist. Um, but like I said, the best part about all of that was I didn't know any of it. I woke up in the hospital because uh, it was certainly scary waking up in the hospital. Um, but yeah, it, it could have been way worse. So I'm thankful that I'm, that I'm here on this call. Wow, that's something else. Were any uh, corrective actions put into place to prevent similar accidents from happening in the future? Definitely. Um, so right away, no more ladders. We just that was that was not something that that uh, that brewery was going to do any longer. It was going to be the um, the man basket with the forklift, or we also had a boom lift that you could then be harnessed in and tied off and get to anything uh, that you needed to be. Unfortunately, this was one of those situations where crisis precipitates change, and unfortunately, I was the uh, crisis that precipitated that change. Coming up. So I wanted a way to add things to the tank while maintaining pressure, because that's really the key, is don't depressurize the tank and you're not going to have a geyser. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Brought to you by BSG. Want a natural and economical clarification aid that doesn't impact beer flavor? Then you need Cary Biofine Eco. Developed as part of Cary's Eco Brewing Range, Biofine Eco is a plant-based fining agent that improves beer clarification by instant flocculation of yeast and troop. Available exclusively from BSG, visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. 
BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within 7 days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Don't miss the January 10th webinar, Brewing in a Beer with Smart Bev Near Yeast, a Craft Brewer's Perspective. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 6th. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. back to the show. George, after experiencing a couple of dry hop geysers, you had a dry hop, dry hop dosing device fabricated. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, um, at first, I've got to say, listening to the previous guests' experiences of falling off ladders, I'm kind of really grateful that that never happened to me because I spent 13 years at a brew pub with top manways on the tanks, no bottom manways. It was only top manways. So everything was done on a ladder and, um, I somehow never fell. Um, but boy, that's, that's, that is scary. Um, so when I, after I got wet the second time, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I like to ferment my beers I, I like to carbonate them naturally. Um, so I'm dry hopping beers that are at about 2 to 2.1 volumes of CO2 when they're ales, and lagers will end up being fully carbonated to like 2.4 volumes. Um, so I wanted a way to add things to the tank while maintaining pressure, because that's really the key, is don't depressurize the tank, and you're not going to have a geyser. So I just had 
a six inch pipe welded to a six inch to four inch reducer and then had a cap put on it and that fits on top of a four inch butterfly valve at the top of the fermenter so you attach this you pour in whatever you want to pour in hops fruit whatever and put a cap on it open the valve the pressure equalizes and the stuff falls in it's, it's that easy and then you close the valve open a little ball valve that's on the cap of the device and depressurize it and then you can either add more stuff if you couldn't get it all in in one dose or you remove the device and clean everything up that's pretty cool and these are somewhat widely available now but i, I believe you you mentioned that this was sort of a prototype at the time right yeah i i had um my my brew house vendor uh build it for me and then I guess they, I should have patented it because maybe I'd not be brewing anymore, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just such a simple device. And yes, now it's available online. Can I say the name of the company that's yeah, making it? And them? in fact, we'll put some links uh, in the show notes uh, to, to that company and, and also some of the others so that if anyone wants to, to get one, they'll have, at least have a few options out there. So sure. Right. Okay. JV Northwest are the people who made my prototype, actually. And then Mark's Design and Metalworks have one available for a very reasonable price on their website. All right. Great. Um, and just a couple other little things. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how much, uh, how much it holds, how much it weighs, things like that? Yeah. Well, it, it, depends, you know, it, it depends on how much ceiling space you've got. And how much money you're willing to spend, because if you have one custom made, the diameter of the pipe is going to determine, you know, the diameter of the pipe and the length of the pipe are going to determine how much it holds. So we have some ceiling height restrictions at our largest brewery where we have 60 barrel fermenters. So the device I have here will hold about eight pounds, maybe 10 pounds of hop pellets. Um, so it takes us multiple doses to dry hop one of these tanks. But at our locations with smaller brewing systems, they can have seven to eight pounds in their dosing devices. And that's usually enough for dry hopping one batch. Sounds good. Well, you can just and, call it double or triple dry hops, you know, if you need to, and then sell, sell <laughs> yeah. more beer. So. Right, if you have to keep adding more. And I've, I've got to say, um, yeah, working on ladders is a terrible idea. And if you have the space for it, because I know not every small brew pub has the space for a scissor lift, but boy, they are so much safer for doing everything. And um, also, you listening to the other guests made me realize we do something here routinely. We remove the CIP balls from tanks that have any chance at all of crawling up that high. So if we're doing a full 60 barrel batch in one of our 60 barrel fermenters, we will remove the CIP spray ball so that it cannot get clogged. Daniel, welcome back to the show again. You're with one of the nation's larger craft breweries producing somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 barrels. The bigger the brewery, the more impressive the dry hop geyser, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, so you guys uh, you guys have done some investigations into a couple of uh, dry hop geyser incidences, or maybe more than a couple, and, uh, and also some RCAs, which I wasn't sure if that stands for root cause analysis or risk control assessment, but uh, regardless, uh, you've you've ended up in a place where you've got some countermeasures. So let's hear your story. Yeah. So um, actually, to my knowledge, we've had three dry hopping geyser or volcano 
incidents here at Ninkasi. Uh, two of them happened while I was here, and the, the first one that that was recorded uh, happened before I was here. And kind of the um, the big takeaway that we've we've come across looking back on these and doing, as you mentioned, RCAs, or we call them root cause analysis, but I think a risk control assessment is, is also an adequate uh, label for those, um, is really controlling the amount of pressure and headspace in, in a tank. Uh, we found that really anything under 25%, less than 25% headspace in a, in a vessel, you're, you're really setting yourself up for not having enough room in the tank for any sort of breakout that that will occur um and then also having tight control over the amount of carbon dioxide that is that's entrained or dissolved in the in the beer itself or the fermenting beer when you go to add those dry hops so it may be high at first but you got to get it down to a certain amount before adding your your dry hops that will then add nucleation sites and obviously geyser if if, if it's too high. What is that spec at Ninkasi? Do you know? Um, we don't have a, a hard spec um, on it, but it is, it's, it's trying to get as much out as you can. And so it's one of the previous uh, people on, on the call mentioned trying to recirculate or get some breakout to occur initially. We've tried a few different ways. One is recirculating the tank um, and also bubbling up a little CO2 while while the tank is uh, doesn't have isn't closed up doesn't have any um been capped so to speak um and then also uh but doing that in a in a gentle way because uh, you can easily get some geysering to happen while you're doing that as well uh i will say from a from our standpoint we you know we're a larger brewery so our smallest tanks are 240 barrel tanks probably looking at around 40 to 50 feet tall. And uh, so everything has to be accessed either by a ladder or by a dry, uh, our dry hop catwalk. So our employees are on top of the tanks. And as uh, previous people on the call also mentioned, uh, really working from ladders is, is not to be something not to be done. Um, try and have some sort of secure place that you can anchor to um, to, to mitigate any sort of fall hazard whatsoever. Um, we also have put in some safety measures in terms of having spotters on the ground um, to kind of help monitor the blow-off on the tanks um, or the, the CO2 that's being released. We have, on all of our tanks, we have at least two, if not three, ways to relieve pressure on the tank, um, either through the vent arm. Um, we also have a dry hopping port where we add the hops into and then and then the vacuum release valve that is a little bit bigger of a port to that we kind of prop open as well to keep keep the the co2 flowing so to speak um and not get it corked up in there in the tank and, and then create a high pressure situation all right very good uh cody you still with us Oh uh, yeah, I'm here. Great. Uh, I believe you have a message for us from the Master Brewers Brewery Safety Committee. Yeah, um, I just wanted to kind of elaborate on some of the things that were said there. Um, you know, first of all, I just want to, um, you know, I'm glad to hear that that Lee and Victor were okay. You know, listening to those stories too, and um, some of the other 
um, commentary that, that people have made um, when we're on top of ladders and, and tanks and things like that. Usually when it goes wrong, it's it's due to some external force or bodily reaction, whether it's from a from a dry hop geyser or from removing a component that suddenly gives away. And so, um, you know, it's really, really important that as you set up whatever method you choose to get on top of a tank or, or access an elevated area, um, that you have it set up properly and that you account for um, something like that that could go wrong. So um, if we're looking at um, specifically on, on ladders, um, you know, the first thing that we really want to do is, is make sure that we um, have the right selection. And I was thankful to hear um, that um, uh, Jessica and Lee both had alternatives to ladders. You know, ladders are super accessible. Um, they're relatively cheap. And a lot of times people just go to those first. Um, if you have an application um, where you have the headspace and you have the means to either get a scissor lift or um, some alternative platform, that's, that's going to be the best situation there. There really should be an afterthought if you're going to use a ladder. So um, if you do have a situation where um, you do have to set up a ladder, you know, the first thing is really just to make sure you have the, um, the correct type. So um, in some of our sellers, we have, uh, in some of our older sellers, we have a little bit shorter tanks that are still accessed by ladders. We just don't have the, the headspace for a lift or anything like that. But um, you know, a couple pointers there. Um, always use fiberglass. We don't use um, anything conductive, so try to avoid any uh, aluminum ladders, anything like that. Um, as far as wood ladders, those shouldn't be involved in a food facility anyway. So um, really, fiberglass is going to be best. And then um, either an A-frame ladder is going to be great, or um, we've actually recently went to uh, podium ladders. Um, a little bit different design where our operators are actually able to stand on like a one foot by two foot uh, platform. Um, they're much more stable. It allows them to lean against the side rails of the ladder a little bit more, um, allows them to uh, pull, you know, coffee sacks or, you know, carry up, uh, you know, bags of hops a lot easier and, and, and kind of um, work a little bit harder up there with a little bit more security. So that's the number one thing is just making sure you have the correct type of ladder uh, for that application. If you, if you are on a ladder, um, I mean, is there any sort of recommendation about uh you know, any way to hook into the top of the tank once you're up there or, or, you know, anything like that? Um, from a regulatory point of view, that's not required from a, a best practice. It may be good. Um, I would, uh, the only thing I would recommend there is that, um, whatever, if you're tying off, it really should be, um, to, to, to limit that, um, that that force from moving backwards so like if you were to have that bodily reaction from pulling a spray ball out or or, or something like that you're you're only gonna um you know fall back just a little bit where you're not gonna actually topple off the ladder um a lot of if you're looking at a um like an engineered fall protection uh you know anchor point a lot of times those are difficult um to tie into on the top of a tank that you know it can be done but um yeah that is something that, that you can look at i would just you know proceed with caution there okay Great. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, one thing uh, just kind of specific to the brewery operations too is, uh, you know, we use, uh, like I mentioned, A-frame ladders quite a bit. Uh, you know, obviously inspecting those carefully to make sure they're in good shape. But setup is really important, especially in a brewery too, because, um, you know, your floors are going to be sloped. And so uh, making sure that, that that ladder is set up appropriately so you're not, uh, the, the slope of the floor is not, you know, leaning that ladder off to one side. Um, so just making sure that's oriented correctly. And then also um, drain covers. So our, our drains are, are pretty deep in some, in some spots. Uh, we routinely remove those drain covers to, to make sure the drains are cleaned inside and out. 
um, just making sure those are, are set up and, and secured uh, properly. The last thing you'd want is to have uh, one of those legs from the A-frame ladder to fall inside an open drain cover. That's going to that's gonna bring you down really quickly. So um, just, just kind of making sure your work area is set up properly um, is going to be your best bet. That was Jessica Young, Victor Rini, Lee Lanis, George DePiro, Daniel Sharp, and Cody Green here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to tons of Master Brewers brewery safety resources, which are 100% free and accessible to both members and non-members, as well as links to some of the dry hop devices George mentioned. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Can't be stopping, can't be 